I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Full Contact. In association with Mitsubishi Motors. Drive your ambition. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. We're into week two of European rugby and, well, although there were plenty of great games, the big talking point was the cancellation of four Champions Cup matches due to COVID-19. We'll be reviewing the action on the field and discuss the implications the pandemic could have on the competition as it continues into the new year. Off the pitch, BT Sport have agreed a £110 million deal to remain the home of Premiership Rugby for the next three years. The deal is worth less than the current contract. We'll be speaking to Telegraph's chief rugby correspondent, Gavin Mayers, to find out the details about this and what it could mean for clubs up and down the country. England's women have been dealt a major blow just nine months out from the 2021 World Cup in New Zealand. Fly half and former captain Katie Daly-McLean has announced she will be retiring from international rugby. McLean has featured in four World Cups. He's captained the Red Roses to glory in 2014 and she's lifted no fewer than nine Six Nations titles. We'll be speaking to her about the decision and discuss what's next as she switches her focus to raising a family. We'll be discussing the, well, uh, rather abrupt uh, departure of Danny Cipriani from Gloucester. Immediate effect, so see behind that. And as ever, we'll be taking a close look at some of the work being done at grassroots level during the last seven months as part of the Mitsubishi Volunteer Recognition Programme. Alongside me today, regular co-host, uh, welcome back to the former England centre, Tom May. Hello, Tom. Hi, how are you doing? Now, Europe. Uh, we'll get into the action on the pitch shortly, but... Uh, Scathing from Sir Ian McGeekin in the Telegraph on Sunday saying the Champions Cup is descending into a farce. This was after the Scarlets versus Toulon game was postponed just two hours prior to kickoff. You know, what, what, what's your take? I think it's a difficult situation. We're in unprecedented times where, where clearly the Toulon players have, have taken a stance on, 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 on the game itself. I think, I think we, it's, it's very difficult to hold hold different people's opinions out and say that one's right, one is right and one is wrong. Um, but I think when you get to that point, when you're two hours before a kickoff, you know, you're in, you're in a change room, for God's sake. Yeah. You, you know, you, 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 your mind's on the game. Everything has been done. Um, it's, it's a difficult situation. I think if you look at the whole, you know, the, I, I think, for example, if you look at the other games as well, Exeter and Glasgow would have fancied their chances in those yeah. in those games, and it's and it's going to cause them a problem moving it moving um, through I mean, this one, competition. One of the things, Tom, is well, um, no one sets out to do this. No, uh, and if you haven't buzzed, it, you still it's still twenty eight nil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it, and and it, it it casts a shadow over the whole 
over the competition, but over those specific teams that are dealt a hand by this, you know, through whether it be, you know, therefore or not, um, they're affected moving through the rest of this competition. But yeah. unfortunately, you know, that's the way it is right now. I mean, in the current climate, and bearing in mind as we broadcast, we are under a severe lockdown in London due to a, a mutated strain of COVID. Can you actually, I mean, not too much of a stretch of imagination to see this competition being binned, isn't it, if it goes much further? Well, yeah, and as I and as the travel I restrictions in, at the moment, well, who knows when they'll be lifted? And yeah, and as as I come into this podcast, you know, I'm looking at thirty countries having cancelled travel. Well, that makes it very difficult, doesn't it? And d- does that exclude I don't know key workers, which would, um, you know, s- elite sportsmen have that have that status? Um, now, there's a huge expense, and I think it's quite, you know, everyone should try and understand what the expense that these teams are going through to to get to a point where they are COVID-free. Well, you've got the regular testing. You've got the uh, isolation points, haven't you, where they've yep. all got to stay in the same places, so hotels and so on can't build them. And, and, and um, Of course, if you're in run-ups to games, you don't just turn up and do it. You've got to be periods before then. So it's extended. And, um, of course, when you go into it, there are no crowds to, to, to put money back in. Yeah, but, I think it's, you know, the whole... Rugby in, in, in its state at the moment, we know is in a very, very fragile state. Um, and just to have these games running is, is fantastic. To see 2,000 fans watching games in some stadium, stadiums this weekend has been brilliant and makes a bit of a difference when you're watching it on the telly, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but look, I, I think let's do what we can to get through this competition. It, we have to take... I mean, as as cringy as it sounds, and we hear it so much, we have to take each individual weekend on its own merit. Yeah, I, I mean, of the action that did take place, um, very notable away win by Munster. Yeah, that was unbelievable. I, I mean, to go that many that many points down that quickly, you you look like you're on the end of a proper shoeing down at the Stade Marcel Michelin. But to to come back like that, um, and and it was all uh, it was all sort of topped off with that smile, wasn't it, from CJ yeah. Stander? Yeah. That sort of said it all. But you know, that, that people have already talked about it being one of the, the great Munster wins, and now they've had some in this competition. Uh, Gloucester without uh, Cipriani. Yeah, I was, I was, they looked lively, Gloucester, didn't they? They did look lively, and I think you could tell a lot from the reaction in the in the um, in the coaching booth when when the final whistle went. That you know, Alex King, George Skivington giving each other massive high fives, but they they did look lively. I thought. Um, Lewis Reed Zamet looked look sharp, um, made a couple of sort of errors where he could have could have made could it have, slight past. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, two on ones. Yeah. Um, but look, let's. I let, say that if you if you don't pass to me, you better score, mate. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. But he will he will pull pull in some some fans to watch him over the years because he is he is box office, isn't he? When he gets the uh, Rassing looked fairly um, sleek, didn't they? Yeah. When they when they wanted to, I think they took took the foot off the gas a bit. But I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. Obviously, being one of your old teams, what, what I mean, <laughs> what sort of situation do you think about uh, Quins right now? It's look, uh, the th- Quins have uh, for for ever since they won the title, which is over a decade ago. The main problem has been, no matter how many points they've scored, they've been one of the most poorest defenses. Not the, not right bound by the relegation zone, but of the middle teams, mm. you know their points against. Have always been high, and one of the things uh, I think most Quinns fans were looking for from uh, Gusted was 
because he was, you know, a defence coach, for that to be tightened up. Um, and it has tightened up a bit, but still, um, they, they let Trice in too easily. They seem to have a bit of a soft underbelly, don't they? In that, in that one week they can be brilliant. Um, and, and, and you know that if, if a team has worked them out, it seems to unravel pretty quickly. That said, yeah. Finn Russell was pretty, pretty special. Yeah. Um, going, I mean, going forward, everyone wants to talk about favourites and so on. Um, it seems to me, you know, in Europe, there are teams who it takes time to get your European pedigree to get into the swing of things. You know, Exeter are finding that, find the way. Saracens took a long time. But there are other clubs that just are not there. And I don't think people understand that European rugby demands different standards, different things. Um, and some sides just are not there. No, and so Montpellier are a classic example, I think. You know, you, if you look at them over the past few years, they've had the names to, to list off as long as your arm. But actually... They've never managed to put together anything sustainable in in Europe, and that is again the case um, with them coming into this competition. Um, but you know, there's some great teams in there, though. You know, and you've got to say if you get it wrong once, it can make your it can make you look a lot worse than <laughs> yeah. than you are. Um, but you know, I, I think, for example, Bristol are giving them a, a great account of themselves. Um, but then above them, you know, you've got. Claremont, Munster, Toulouse, Racing, proper European heavyweights. And yeah. I think Leon will be pretty happy to have been given that bonus point win away at Glasgow. I was talking to Eddie Jones, you know, last week on the on the podcast about lots of things. Um, and he was saying fans need to realise that Club and international rugby, essentially two different games. I mean, he brought some stats out, very interesting. Two or three, three or four phases in test rugby. You can only do that in, in internationals. Otherwise, you get turned over and the, you have problems. I mean, have you any sympathy with that, that, sort of, that sort of analysis or not? I think I, I understand that he sees that as a three-stage process. I, I, from, a, from a mental perspective, um, at club level, you always went into those European weekends. For me, it was the physicality. The physicality went up. Didn't matter who you were playing, whether they be French, um, Italian, Welsh, and there is that lack of familiarity that you mentioned. But I don't think that's got anything to do with it. I think there's a real em- emphasis and an intensity around those European games. And as you step that up, and there's been so much said over the past month or so about how much ball is kicked away. Now, it's kicked away if it's not kicked away for a purpose. If you're kicking it away to either hit the grass or retrieve it, then that's part of the game. Um, look at New Zealand way back. They were one of the best teams at, 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 at counter-attacking, I'd say way back, before they started getting beaten. Um, you know, some of the teams now, actually, if they were better at counter-attacking, we'd be seeing more tries running. And that's something I think we need to work on. And it's probably, you know, we, we revert to kick because actually our counter-attack isn't as sharp as it mm. could be. Um, and and I I think I do agree. You know, you get you see teams trying to run out. I hate to point the finger at him, but look at the amount of times that Finn Russell has tried to run from deep or overplay, and it's cost whichever team he's been playing for dearly. Well, I, I'm I'm going to repeat this point. I made it last week. Just repeat the point. People have have got to be consistent on this. When England kick well, 
long raking touch kicks, lots of ground, man and ball, penalties, turnovers. That is still a kick. It's as much of a kick as the one that's kicked too long or too short or straight out, which everyone says, oh, that's dull, it's boring. It's still a kick. It's the same intent. And when England beat New Zealand in that brilliant semi-final, they kicked two times less than their average. That's all they did. So people are getting this wrong. It's not that they didn't, they shouldn't kick. It's that you've got to kick better. And if you're not kicking well, then you have to do something. So, um, I mean, there'd be a lot of noise about the style of play. I mean, do you, do you agree? Do you, do you think there should be changes? What, what's your take I, on that? I think we have the ability to, as a, this is from an English perspective, I think we have the ability to, to develop our attacking game. And I, think, I don't think we're that far off. I think at times, as I just mentioned, we want to try and kick perhaps slightly more than we, we should. Um, but that might come probably around selection. Then he comes, comes back to who's available, then you're looking at injuries. Because if you put Anthony Watson at fullback, he's a different fullback from Elliot Daly. Um, but then look, look back to Lee Halfpenny when they went down to, the, to New Zealand. That scything break he made right up the middle of the field. You don't often see that coming from a home nation side, running the ball back from a poor kick. Um, you talk to, talk to about decent kicks, box kicks at the weekend. He's Lewis Ludlow, is it, for Gloucester? Absolutely clattered. I can't remember who it was that caught the ball. And he's done that before. He did it in the Champion, uh, Challenge Cup final against Cardiff. And it was a replica kick. We don't see that in international level, I don't think. We never see man on, man on ball, someone waiting. They, we're, we're trying to compete for the ball. But actually, there's something real positive. Uh, you know, you either win penalties or you turn the ball over, like you say. One of the problems that England have been having, even though, let's point this out, they did win the Six Nations and the Autumn Nations Cup, is, and I wrote extensively about this on the way to, into the World Cup and when they were playing well in the World Cup, when they had all their ball carriers available and when the ball carriers in the two pods and the backs coming in were able to vary the point of contact, they were getting over the gain line, they were getting quick ball because people couldn't get back and defend. This time round, either defences have got tighter or the carriers are not carrying it in the same sophisticated way and posing those problems. Therefore, they're not getting over the gain line as quickly. They're not getting um, the number, they're having to commit more numbers. And that obviously affects what comes out when Ford or Farrell is there and, and thinks, wait a minute, this is not what I want. But, Therefore. When you were writing that about the World Cup, it's it a ridiculous stat, isn't there, about both Vunapolas and Tuolangi playing at the same time. Now, the fact they've, they've hardly ever managed to do that. Finally, not you know one of them's always on the physio bed. If you manage to keep the three of them playing, ju- just to your point, they're always over the gain line. They got three points of contact where they're guaranteed to get go forward. Um, and I, I think at the fact that they're missing Manu, yes, okay, Ollie Lawrence stepped up and did a did a pretty decent job, but he's not Manu, um, and that does open up a huge amount of space on that on those uh, sort of lateral channels. See, when you've got them, when you if you have a, a Ford, Farrell, Slade. Uh, May no Noel, you know May is a is a good carrier because he's elusive. So is Noel in it, because he's elusive. But there's no weight there in the sense no. of, of of hitting. So the option to do that, you know, and and when it's taken away, the, I keep telling people, people like to along it are worth the weight in gold. Not just because they get the ball, because they attract players. Yeah, and other players can use that. That's, I mean, I've attempted to try and tackle that guy. 
<laughs> however many times. Um, and there's a, there's a level of consistency about his presence on a field. And I remember playing in a, in a Saints-Leicester uh, game and all I was worried about was where he was. My opposite number, I was defending the 13 channel, which is obviously quite a tough job anyway. That, that's all I was worried about. I wasn't worried about anyone else. Uh, if, you look, if you watch that, there's normally an inside and outside defender that are having to w- watch what I'm doing. If I'm only concerned with one person, and if I sit back on my heels, that's me defensively useless to my team. And that is what you're, you know, you, to, to, to put your p- point in a, into sort of a coaching context and, and try and not get sat down on your heels. That's exactly what he's trying to do to people. Well, let's move on to the new three-year deal between BT Sport and Premiership Rugby. And who better to discuss this with than the Telegraph's chief rugby correspondent, Gavin Mears. Hi, Gav. Hi, Brian. What are the details as you know them, the, the ones that you think are important of this? Well, first of all, it's less money, but, but after that? I think, Brian, that the most important thing is that they, they managed to get the deal over the line because at one stage last week, certainly at the start of last week, we had a situation where there was quite a lot of posturing from both sides and brinkmanship. And there was a suggestion, and I never really thought it was genuine, but I think it was a suggestion that BT were ready to walk away from the deal um, because um, Premiership Rugby had turned down for the second time an offer. Um, But, you know, sources were telling me realistically they wanted to get the deal done. There wasn't any other options on the table. Amazon weren't interested in the, the club game and Sky, as we know, have sort of been winding down their rugby operation. Um, so it was critical for, I guess, some sort of financial stability, certainty to, to secure some medium-term income for the premiership clubs that this deal was 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 done and all parties came to an agreement on Friday and as you say I think the key figures we're looking at three years it looks to me it's 110 million pounds which works out roughly about 36 million pounds per year which is down on what the original offer was back in January pre-COVID days when the clubs turned down an offer of 40 million pounds a year so um, I, I suppose a little bit of egg on the face for, for the clubs but also uh Considering where where we are, the financial situation, this deal will bring some welcome relief to the clubs. Well, it's certainty, isn't it? That there is that. I, I, I must admit, I don't understand brinksmanship um, on Premiership Rugby's behalf when there are no other bidders. That doesn't make <laughs> seem to make any sense to me. Um, but uh, look, I mean, what, what do you think the reaction of uh, the reaction of uh, CVC Capital Partners will be? Because they put two hundred million in competition over two years ago. They're not really happy. <laughs> that the the broadcast deal is 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 less lucrative, are they? Brian, one of the things I think probably uh, um, the commentators, pundits like me, have never quite got our heads around is where CVC really see the value in professional rugby union. Um, they're obviously clever people; they make a lot of money out of other sports and 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 things. But but the, you know they, they they've come in to to this sport both at club level and international level because I think they see that by possibly bring, bringing together television rights collectively that, that the sum overall can be improved quite significantly over the next 10 years. Um, 
I think we've seen this year um, probably the stark reality of that just hasn't been the case. And and and, and you you must you know you must appreciate that the the impact that the pandemic has ha- has had on the sort of sports market. TV rights, um, but at the same time, you know, we, we we look on and think, you know, what what other interest was there in Premiership rugby, uh, even at the start of the year? Um, so, I, I would struggle to see how, with the sort of investment that CBC have made, I just I just don't understand how they're they're going to realise a significant profit. Um, but you know, these guys make their money, and uh, I'm sure they they have a plan. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, look, compared to motor racing, um, even when, when Eccles was there, even when he wasn't there, you know, the fact is that they're not dealing with as many parties. I think they maybe misunderstood this. You know, when you're talking to um, EPRC or whatever, or the RFU or Woolery or whatever, there are so many, uh, for want of a better word, stakeholders um, that all have an input that you can't, you can't just go to one man and say, right, you know, can we do this? And he agrees and everyone does it. It's painstaking, it's tortuous to do that. You've got to do deals behind, you know, all sorts of things, as, as, as I'm sure you know. I think possibly they've underestimated the politics in this. I think you're right, Brian. As I think as Eddie Jones famously once called it, you know, rugby's sort of Gordian knot of, of, of so many layers to, particularly in the game in England. Um, I think, I think, there is some hope that I think they probably see some coming together of, you know, with this talk of a World Club Championship match maybe once every four years. Whether there's a possibility to enhance the overall value by marrying together the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere, looking at competition structures. We know that's been an ongoing issue for the last two or three years. But as you say, I, you know, it's, 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 it's how you... Uh, how you see what 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 are the key things that need to happen to dramatically change the value of a broadcasting deal for either club or international rugby union and i just don't quite see it and um uh, as i say it's going to take uh i mean w- one thing that somebody said to me before about cvc is they hope that they will actually be a sort of a catalyst for change because of the fact they are not involved with the politics. They're just there to, to maximise the commercial rights of the sport and whether that, that in itself can bring sort of knockheads together of the administrators. Um, I think that was the hope, certainly in Premiership Rugby, when they they agreed to do the deal to allow um, a 27% stake to go to CVC. But we just haven't seen really any evidence of that. And I think, as you say, it's really just exposed just how complex negotiations can be in, in professional rugby union, both at club and international level. Gavin, former RFU director of professional rugby, Nigel Melville, he's just been appointed as the new executive chairman of Premiership Rugby. Is there any clarity on what the main task that he's going to be faced with? Well, it's an interesting point. We haven't had a huge amount of detail. Um, what, what we do know is that he is going to be largely in charge of, I suppose, the rugby brief. And that may seem an odd thing to say when you're, you know, you've already got a chief executive there in charge of Premiership Rugby. But I think the clubs really wanted uh, uh, an administrator with significant experience of dealing with uh, rugby-specific issues, not just solely commercial issues. And I think we're going to see 
Darren Childers' role redefined, the current chief executive, he'll be tasked with concentrating on commercial issues. Nigel Melville, um, it's an interesting one. He's coming from the RFU. The, the premiership rugby have been quite clever in, in recruiting uh, former executives. They've had okay. Ian Ritchie come in. Um, Andrew Higginson, uh, sort of former director on the RFU board, is currently ch- overall chairman of Premiership Rugby. It's become a very complicated uh, company following the CVC investment, but they're quite keen to tap into the the intel at the RFU. And I think what we'll see, Nigel Melville, he's you know he's a, he's, a, he's known for his collaboration. He, he gets people around the table talking, and I think probably that's one very important strength that he will bring um, to really some going to be some difficult conversations over the next year about the professional game agreement and how the sport copes with the you know the the the, the huge destructive impl- financial impact of covid and and player welfare as well so i think it's from what we see it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a rugby appointment and i suppose that can only really be a good thing in terms of, of the negotiations between and relationship between Premiership Rugby and the RFU. Well, Gav, yeah, at least there's uh, some certainty uh, in this. Um, I don't know where they would have gone if PG had pulled out. It would be very embarrassing. Um, but look, Gav, uh, keep an eye on this for us. If you hear anything more, see if we can come back and tell us. Cheers, mate. Well, do. Thank you. Happy Christmas, boys. And you. Tom, uh, very surprising news, especially with the immediate effect. It always sounds a bit dramatic. You know, personal reasons is usually the other part of it. But Danny Cipriani went from Gloucester. Did, I, did you know that was coming? Anyone? I didn't know it was coming, no. Uh, and I actually thought for a guy that uh, has put some fantastic performances in for Gloucester over the past couple of seasons, um, you felt like he was uh, getting to grips with with what he could offer a team on a sustained basis. Um, I know there's been a lot going on in his life off-field, some of it negative, um, most recently more positive. Um, And I think maybe he's got to that age, like, he doesn't look 33, but he is 33. Um, He's pretty experienced in terms of what he's, he's gone through. Um, is this now the opportunity that that maybe has presented itself that we don't know about as yet, whereby he's going to take that that opportunity for his family? You mean just retire? Either retire, or is there is there, is there a one more contract? Yeah, one more lumpy contract that's that's a, that's appeared, and he's thought that this is going to be it. Uh, he doesn't want to go on, but you know, it wouldn't be. I mean, if that's the case, it, for to me, it's unlikely to be another Premiership. Team. No, I don't think it'll be another. We, I don't think we'll see him in the Premiership again. I'd be very, very surprised. Austin Healy, you know, you wrote in the Telegraph that he, although he's talented, Cipriani was never actually good enough to be an England regular. I mean, I saw Cipriani's debut when he was 19, and I'm, this is not an exaggeration. It was virtually flawless against Ireland. It was yeah. astonishing, for you know. And then he had the injury, and I, 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 I never thought he played as well. The, I thought he rushed back after that, but a really bad ankle injury. Um, he shouldn't have played uh, as soon as he did. I don't think he was quite physically the player. I think, you know, he still had massive talent, but I think that did have an effect on him. Yeah, I think the the physicality that he had to his game um, held him back. I don't agree with Austin. I think he was class. I think his his ability, his, his array, array of skills and his ability to execute them to the top level 
was off the charts. I think his vision was brilliant. Um, he could do all sorts of different types of kick um, from, from an attacking perspective that we've already spoken about. The one area I would say um, that perhaps didn't make him an England regular was that you look at the mentality of, a, of the game that's required from those top, top England players. If you compare him and Tyrone Farrell, there's, there's nothing... There's nothing you know, there's nothing to compare in terms of the mental strength um, and the focus that Owen Farrell has. And I think, you know, it's each each individual to their own, isn't it? And and each individual is, is different in a changing room to anyone else. But um, that's I tell you, probably... Just, I tell you what's a shame, that a talent like that couldn't find a part in a setup. Well, and then you come back to characters, don't you? Because every team needs a character. Uh, and you come back to players like Kevin Peterson in cricket. How do you do, does a team need them, or do you need to oust them and 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 use players um, that fit that mould? Um, I think it's a shame if we never get to see Danny Cipriani in the Premiership again. I think he's been a huge asset to to the league, um, and uh, some of the things that we've seen from him over the years have been outstanding. I just made this final comment on Danny. The the well-publicised things that happened, particularly early on in his career, uh, they were there, but they were never as numerous as people said. The nightclub in the the same photograph kept coming out again and again and again, didn't help himself with a bus incident and all sorts of things like that. Silly, immature, when he was young and immature. Now, I think he's paid a heavy price for that. I think part of it was jealousy from other people, the talent, the good looks and so on. An agent wrongly putting him forward for fashion shows when he hadn't, you know, wasn't a star, and so on and so on. And so on. Badly managed, a single parent, like a fatherhood figure, all sorts of reasons. The basic thing I, and I don't know him really well, but I, you know, I've got to know him. Deep down, he is not a bad lad. No, you know, he's not a rogue, and there are rogues that I've, you know, there are rogues that I've met. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking there about some of the experiences of playing against him. I mean, <laughs> I remember taking a restart at Adams Park when Wasser there kicked it as far as I could. He caught it, and he just smashed the biggest drop goal back over our heads. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Right, okay, don't kick the ball to him." He's just—he has the ability, didn't he, to 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 pull something out of nothing from anywhere on the field. Um, and you know, I agree with you. I think he's nowhere near as bad as anyone everyone says he is. So, Danny, um, if you get to hear this, best of luck with whatever comes next. If you decide. You want to go in a different direction? Good luck to you, mate. Well, Eddie Jones and England's men know who they'll be playing in three years' time, but for the women's team, the World Cup is just nine months away and they've been dealt a blow after former skipper Katie Daly-McLean announced she'll be retiring from international rugby and we're going to speak to her now. Hi, Katie. Hey, how are you? Four World Cup campaigns, nine at Six Nations titles. Um, why do you want to give it up? <laughs> I think for me, you know, the, the biggest thing, and I've probably said it a lot over the weekend, is we had our calendar, um, and the calendar's amazing for next year, but having uh, a little girl, um, that really changed my perspective on it, and I think, you know, I've played this game for an awful long time. I know what's required in a World Cup campaign, and I just can guarantee that I'd be able to kind of do the training load that my teammates would expect of me. Um, and I think for me, the kind of time was right to give them the best opportunity for Simon to go and prepare those girls to go to New Zealand and hopefully win that World Cup. Um, you, you say, you do, your daughter, I mean, uh, what, what, what in particular did you think you couldn't fulfil as a parent had you taken that schedule on? 
I think for me, it was about uh, like what I couldn't or couldn't could not. It's about what I wanted to do right. and the type of parent that I want to be. I think you know I, I've done enough World Cups to know what's required in terms of the training load. And I think probably actually once I really start to look at the calendar, look at the requirements, and have kind of really honest conversation with myself, I got to the point that actually I'm. I'm probably done with the, the level of competition that has required it that an international level. You know, our game has moved on so much. And for me as an individual, I've achieved so many things that I never dreamed of. Um, and I can, I can honestly say that I'm, I'm good with that and I'm at peace with that. And I think that really helped me kind of make that decision. And, and once I'd kind of made that decision, it was about communicating to the right people and, and making sure England were in the best possible place to go forward without me. Yeah, well, as you say, it, it is... Obviously, better if you've got the you've no regrets on the achievement side. I tell you another thing, though. Um, me and my various wives and whatever when, when I was playing for England, it's not just the fact that you're not there. When you're there, often you're distracted because your thoughts are got a really big gib coming up. You know, you get short tempered and uh, you don't yeah. see why you should go down the shop because it's unimportant and you know stuff like this. Uh, you know, and the, the kids especially they 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 know this. And they say, yeah. it's like a rush. Why are you rushing? Why are you going to do this? Yeah. And so if you want to be full-time, you know, I, I, I totally understand that. In a way that probably non-parents won't do. That's, that's not being patronising. That's, that's just the way it is. So just, let's wrap up on that. All the best. I'm sure you will. I tell you what, it's, a, it's, a, it's much of a challenge. You know why? Because you don't know what you're doing, and everyone tells you what to do. No one has your relationship, and it's messier. And it's all messy. Yeah, and 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 when you get it, when you get it wrong, you you oh. will be made. You will know about it. Let me tell you. you want to be back playing straight away. Exactly. So good luck with that. Look, I mean, thank um, you very much. All right. You stepped away. Um, England at the moment are the top side uh, world ranking wise, but uh, New Zealand. Uh, away from home for a difficult place to play anyway it'd be febrile with the World Cup how confident are you that England can uh, take it away from them yeah, I think it, I think it's massive. You know, we've talked about we've the last time we were in New Zealand, we beat New Zealand in 2017. So I think for us, that's a massive level of confidence as well to know that we can beat them in their backyard. But I think this is what you want from a World Cup. You know, the year that kind of 2020's been driving forward into 2021. I think the tournament itself is going to be fantastic. There's a new format. And I think just the girls having kind of the amount of prep going into Six Nations, the having kind of France in our group, I think it's going to be a phenomenal World Cup. And like I say, yeah, I've got every confidence that the girls can go there and do a job. I just said, just occurred to me, Kenny, um, I know what it's like and because I've toured there with the Lions and so on. Um, people always say, it's become a, such a cliche, you have to go to New Zealand to understand the part that rugby plays in their psyche, in their society. Did you find that as much apparent for you as a women's team? Yeah, I think massively. I think you look at kind of, it's so kind of big in their culture. I think in England, you can go to big rugby hubs around the country where rugby is because you go into Exeter in the southwest, for example. Like rugby is kind of as a main sport there. I think when you go into New Zealand, everybody knows about it. And for me, that, that was a massive difference of going to a country where everybody's aware that the Black Ferns are playing, especially for that's a, a definite change. And I think the World Cup will be will be huge for them. They don't get to play at home that often. So actually having that and having a World Cup of of the stature it is now, I think will be huge. Katie, you joined Sale at the start of the season in a player-coach capacity. Now, I sort of slightly did that when I finished playing. How long do you intend to keep up the, the playing <laughs> side and how frustrated will you be as a coach? 
this these are great questions. Um, I think probably I'm definitely going to go to the season, and then I'll kind of review how I feel and how it's gone. Because for me, I've always only played club and international together uh, since I got capped. So that's, I think it's going to be strange just kind of just coming to play for your club without kind of a another goal there. Um, so definitely get to the season and we'll review that. I think. For me, I'm really enjoying my coaching and I'm really enjoying the opportunity to really get into it. Sales probably kind of lost out a little bit because of the time that you, you kind of spend away. Um, so I'm really excited and looking forward to having the opportunity to really get my teeth stuck into it and hopefully I won't be too much of a frustrated coach. Well, the, 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 the results need to improve. What, what, what in particular needs to improve, apart from stopping losing? We, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think like the, the biggest thing for us is just sorting our attacking game out. I think defensively, we've, we've put in some really decent um, performances against some very good sides. I think for us now that we're kind of halfway through the, the season, it's just really starting to improve our attacking game and to u- utilise some of the girls that we have in our wide channels. For me, as, as a back, we're not doing that well enough. And some of that comes down to kind of our, our skill set, but also just getting our basics right. So getting our breakdown right, getting our kind of offloading game going, things like that, that'll allow us to play with momentum and hopefully make moving the ball a little bit easier. Just one one thing before we go. Let's let's pick up on your experiences. You've lifted the trophy in 2014. If there's one bit of advice you wanted to give to players going into um, the tournament that haven't had that experience, what would it be? I think it's about just... I mean, it sounds like a real big cliche, but you've got to view it as each individual game and for us, that was what we got massively right in 2014. We took every game as it came. So we didn't get caught up in kind of the emotion of New Zealand going out or that we had to play Canada again in the final after drawing with them. We literally just looked at it as an isolated game. And I think for me, that's a really, really important kind of um, skill set that you have to develop and you can use the likes of the Six Nations for that. It's just you've got to treat it. You can only play the game in front of you. And as soon as you get ahead of yourself, that's when kind of the wheels start to come off. Uh, that's good advice play the game not the occasion Katie yeah. Daly-McLean uh, thank you for chatting to us uh, best of luck with the uh, Ruby as far as it goes and just remember <laughs> um, when it's half four and you're up for the third time <laughs> it happens to everyone it's <laughs> not, not picking on you <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much guys let me speak to you Full Contact in association with Mitsubishi Motors Everyone's ambitions are different. You can climb to the top. Or you could take on uphill battles of a different kind. You can explore for hundreds of miles. Or you could begin a bigger journey. You can make time fly. Or you could make it stand still. The Mitsubishi SUV range. Drive your ambition. In partnership with England Rugby, Mitsubishi Motors runs a volunteer recognition programme to provide the rugby community with opportunities to recognise and reward the volunteers who are the heartbeat of our game. Throughout the autumn, in association with Mitsubishi, I will be chatting to a selection of rugby volunteers to hear their stories and shine a light on the brilliant work they've done during these most challenging of times. My guest for the ninth instalment is Ali Meek, captain of Wright and Roses RFC. Hello, Ali. Hello there, hiya. Yeah, now, um, how long have you been involved with Wright and Roses um, and Wright and uh, the club itself? What, what, what role does a club play in your life? Well, I'm a Wright and last born and bred, um, but when I was young, unfortunately, they didn't have a women's section or a girls' section. Um, went away to Leeds to play um, rugby at university and came back 
And I've always sort of been in talks with a club about getting a women's section up and running. And uh, once my own children became involved with um, rugby there, there was quite a lot of mams who felt the same, wanted a little bit of something extra, wanted to get back into sport, uh, wanted to do something while the kids were playing so they weren't just standing cold around the side of the pitch. So we started a bit of a kind of rugby fitness. I think it was back in about 2017. Uh, at the time, just with kind of aspirations to have a bit of fun, um, get fit again. I mean, these were probably lasses that hadn't done any sports in school. Um, so, yeah, we, we just started doing things for a bit of fun and it's just developed really into where we've got a full contact team. Um, we've got two touch teams and we've got people who just come down for fitness, a big mix of people from the local community. During the first lockdown, um, you were raising funds for NHS and you ran a, a walk-run-cycle challenge. Um, uh, how were you involved in that? Yeah, so um, I'm not going to take credit for the brainchild. That was a lady called Vanessa Graham who um, is absolutely mad for keeping fit. And, uh, you know, she really... Did, well, we all really struggled with the first lockdown, didn't we? But it was like, oh, I really need to do something that's kind of team-based and, and I want to see people... I want to kind of stay fit. Um, she said, what can we do? I'm, I'm thinking, can we do some sort of relay... So we put it out to the girls um, and tried to find out, you know, who would be involved, who wants to do something. And everybody was kind of feeling the same way. So we designed a route that led for about 66 miles um, and it went between all of the houses uh, of any of our club members who wanted to be involved, basically, um, carrying a carrying a rainbow-coloured rugby ball to represent hope for the NHS. Um, and that was... Uh, you could carry it in any way you wanted. So some people did bike, some people walked, some people ran. Um, obviously in fancy dress, because you have to do these <laughs> things in fancy dress. Um, and with uh, Vanessa following at a safe distance behind on our bike with music blasting and a, and a collection bucket. And yeah, we managed to get it all done in 24 hours, which was quite an achievement considering we're, we're all on the hills uh, out here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really good fun. It was great. What particular challenges have you faced because of uh, of covid um i think for us it's been been a fairly new team we were due to start um to enter into a league we'd played a couple of inner warrior matches and um we'd played a couple of friendlies before lockdown but we were due to start in a league and for us it was that kind of buzz and excitement of going to do that and then it was kind of whipped away from us you know in a heartbeat with no training it's from going from like full pelt excitement to absolutely nothing and i know for a lot of the the ladies and girls on our well just for people within the club really it's just it's just been really hard to kind of mentally get through that so i think probably the biggest challenge has just been making sure that everybody is okay keeping in touch with everybody making sure that mentally people aren't on their own and aren't struggling and um, i know people Obviously, when they've been struggling, when they've been isolating or if they've been poorly themselves. So, and, and that's almost quite easy to be there for them because we know who those people are. But it's the people who maybe, you know, stay quiet for a bit or who you haven't heard of or, you know, don't appear to be on social media. And I think that's where we've been really trying to keep in touch with people and make sure that everybody's OK because everyone 
is dealing with this in a really different way. Um, some people have really needed the kind of fitness challenges and things like that that we've put out. And some people have wanted to just, you know, have a chat on the phone or take part in one of our quizzes or something like that. But just trying to find a way to, to get through to everybody. Um, because even with training start when, well, it's not on again now, but when it started again, um, there were some people who didn't feel comfortable to come down and um, some people who were isolating because they needed a shield for other members of the family and things so it's just just really important to make sure that you kind of try and understand what everybody's going for uh, what everybody's going through and make sure that we're there for everyone yeah i mean uh, you mentioned uh, the various ways in which you've been keeping in contact and that's particularly important given the remote nature as you say of, of some people relative to the club and got the hub and so on um yeah when you when we come out of this, I don't know when it will be, we don't know when it will be, but when we do come out of this, what are you looking forward to as a club and as a team uh, moving forward? Um, oh, well, I, I think obviously once the leagues are up and running and we're playing full contact rugby again, we are, we're training together, we're socialising together. It's, it's probably going to be a, a massive just sort of the biggest party couple of months, I think. Everybody's yeah. going to celebrate so much. There's a lot of people who keep saying, do you know what, I didn't realise I was a hugger until I can't hug someone. Uh-huh. And now it's like you just want to hug everyone. And you, you know what it's like, especially in rugby, with it being such a contact sport, you're used to that human contact so much. And I, I think a lot of people are really missing that. Um, so, yeah, probably that. <laughs> Well, Ali, um, I can't give you a hug. I'll give you a virtual hug. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, look, thanks for all the uh, volunteer work you do. Uh, the game wouldn't be... Well, it, there wouldn't be a game without people like you. And uh, keep well, up the good work. Keep your spirits up as much as you can. And let's hope that uh, that Wrighton and Wrighton Roses go from strength to strength. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ali. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For more details about the Mitsubishi Motors Volunteer Programme, sorry, for more details about the Mitsubishi Motors Volunteer Recognition Programme with England Rugby, visit www.englandrugby.com forward slash participation forward slash volunteers. Well, I'm sure you saw the stories surrounding concussions and the Sad diagnosis of dementia for some former professionals last week, Tom. Um, what was your experience of um, head injury assessments? That uh, they were non-existent back in the day. Um, holding a finger up and, you know. This um, will be when? This, I started uh, 99. Yeah. I started playing. Um, but I, I'm not quite sure this has been done in the right way. I think it's a... It's a From the player's point of view. Well, I think it's a terrible situation that we find ourselves in that, that Alex Popham and, and, and Steve Thompson, two guys that I know, have that diagnosis. Um, but to me, this has been pitched as a we're coming after someone. Um, you know, they, they're, they're trying to make a statement and it seems to me to be focused on blame and retrieving financial gain from it. Whereas what? I think there should be a support network around these guys that is built. Um, and actually, I think rugby has done a great job over the years of putting its hand up and going... When did you play? When, when, when did you retire? Uh, 2015. So you went through the changes. Right? Around 2006-07? Um, 
Can you remember what the what the uh, protocol was, was then? It was the computer. We did a standard base level assessment on a computer at the start of pre-seasons around that time. So you get these cards turning. Is that the one that people cheated on? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it wasn't done in the... I mean, yeah, it could have been done better. But I think you learn over time, don't you? And I, and I think it, rugby is a very different game to NFL. I'll tell you why I asked that date specifically. Because Bennett Amala was a coroner, a CTE diagnosis from the American footballers. He didn't examine the first brain until 2005 and his papers didn't come out till after that. So... The date of knowledge for rugby to be liable on is not when it started professional, when they, you know, the finger test where you told you. It's from when you were talking about that test, which has subsequently been uh, amended when they found there were, there, were, there were flaws in it. So it's a more difficult challenge for the players because the NFL lied and they did all sorts of bogus research and so on. But rugby had the knowledge that it could be a problem addressed it, it's going to be whether they should have done, could have done more at that time, whether they should have done that there. So it's a different test, and it's a much more difficult one. Yeah, I think, look, as far as I can see, and I know you're a big NFL fan, there doesn't seem to be much tackle technique in, in NFL. It, no, they just hit each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of head-on-head contact still. And I think, as a, as a sport, we have focused hugely especially at a grassroots level, on, on getting technique right. And I don't have an issue with my lad going out and playing along at uh, Richmond under 10s on a, on a, on a Sunday and, and getting stuck into his contact work because I, I have trust that the coaches are doing it well. Well, uh, all my four daughters have played. I have, I have no concerns either. No, and I think, yes, look, I wake up in the morning and I can't put my socks on and it's a struggle to get my pants on. But I sort of, I sort of knew that that was going to be the situation having played for 18 years. Um, and you, you take those risks. But I think, I think to be trying to apportion blame to a group of people and saying, this is your fault that I am now in this position is, is a bad route to take. I think we should be, these guys should be saying, yes, I have this diagnosis and we should be supporting these fellas as much as we can, but in well, a positive way. It will be the game's interest to do that because the actions will be time limited anyway and the number of potential claimants will be finite. Um, what they don't want is to get a court decision against them because that will be, they'll have to change all sorts of things, a very serious one. They'll be much better off saying, look, we'll, we'll look, Legally, we don't have to do this. Morally, we agree. Financially, we will we will look after you as insofar as we can, um, because we don't. I mean, I wrote a piece, you know, about this call for banning schools oh, tackling. You know what 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 gets me about this is Pollock, who was one of the signatories, introduced this in two thousand sixteen and seventeen, with flawed research. They aggregated five different surveys with no common definition of an injury. Extrapolated different averages when you couldn't do that because they weren't on the same things, then said this. They didn't do a risk and reward assessment. They didn't do uh, consequences. This is the point. If you ban tackling in schools, you, they then said, but they can have the choice to tackle outside schools. Well, either tackling for that age group is safe or it isn't. It's not more safe or less safe because it's done outside a school. It either is or it isn't. So that's a stupid statement. 
Also, you're then going to ask people to start tackling when they're bigger, stronger, faster, and then come more problems. I mean... The other thing is, well, with teachers being full, you know, the the games teachers full time, if they teach a bit, they're more likely to be better qualified than the the volunteers who, who, God bless them, we need them. And my wife's, you know, helps coach. She's done, you know, the, the, the courses and whatever, yeah. But she's nowhere near the full-time stuff the teachers are. So not only is it illogical in relation to the age stuff, you're picking on the wrong target. He, 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 these academics, none of them are neurosurgeons, not neuro anythings, yeah. actually. They're all academics. And uh, I, just, I just hope that rugby, it needs to consider this. It needs to make everything as safe as it can. But it has a responsibility and it has the right to protect what people who play the game like, and that is contact. People need to be informed, they need to be correctly trained, they need to be correctly diagnosed and treated. But if you can't take that away from people because that is the essence of sport. You can't also put your hand up and, and make the claims that, that people like Pollock have done that, and then come out with the headlines of, you know, rugby gives you brain damage. It, I mean, it just doesn't. Okay, there are, there are scenarios where, unfortunately, there are players that are experiencing this uh, situation, but, and this is, this is a massive change, and, and you being involved in grassroots rugby will understand that. When, when I was playing mini rugby, it was my dad getting involved and his mates that had all been out the night before. Yeah. Now, all of these coaches have to exist to a certain level of coaching. They have to have, done, have been tested for this, that and the other. And they are equipped to a certain level to be able to look after the kids that they're looking after on the, on the morning. And that... For me, it, I mean, you look at other sports, I bet that's not being done. I'm, I'm... Well, one of the reasons they're able to go into stats about this is because rugby keeps stats from training and so on. Other sports don't. They're yeah. not there. So surely rugby is, is leading the way. In some, well, in some, it, in some respects. I mean, I'm not going to a legal debate about yeah. this. I, I'm just... I, I'm telling you what, I'm not annoyed at the players. I understand their point of view. I understand why they've done it this way. The, but I am annoyed at academics who... Uh, I mean, Pollock... You know, her son got injured, broke, then broke his leg. And since that point, she seems to be on a mission to, to emasculate schools rugby. I tell you what, it's a, it's a, we'll make the decision for you. If yeah. you make rugby optional, so no one has to play it at school, so they don't have to have the contact if they don't want to, then you achieve that what you say. No one is doing it, being forced to do it. That way around, they are making the decision for every kid that plays at school. No, you're not doing it, even if you like it. Even if you want to, even if you think the rewards are far greater, which they are, than the risk. Sorry, you're not doing it. Yeah. Well, uh, after that rant, that's all <laughs> we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Huge thank you again to my co host Tom May and to all our guests today. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes? And to stay up to date on all things sport, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact. You can get 30 days access to all the Telegraph's premium sports coverage completely free. For now, it's goodbye and have a great Christmas insofar as you can. Full Contact, in association with Mitsubishi Motors, drive your ambition.